Luke chapter 21, and again, we are in the final days of Christ's life. But in this passage this morning, this long passage, we are actually in the final discourse of his ministry to his disciples, his final discourse in his last days about the last days, about the day when in the future Jerusalem will be judged and destroyed, but also the day that we will see his face. So we read this in Luke chapter 21, beginning in verse 5. It says this, And while some were speaking of the temple, how it was adorned with noble stones and offerings, he said, As for these things you see, the days will come when there will be not be left here one stone upon another that will not be thrown down. And they asked him, Teacher, when will these things be, and what will be the sign when these things are about to take place? And he said, See that you are not led astray. For many will come in my name, saying, I am he, and the time is at hand. Do not go after them. And when you hear of wars and tumults, do not be terrified, for these things must first take place, but the end will not be at once. Then he said to them, Nation will rise against nation, and kingdoms, kingdom against kingdom. There will be great earthquakes, and in various places, famines and pestilences. And there will be terrors and great signs from heaven. But before all this, they will lay their hands on you and persecute you, delivering you up to the synagogues and prisons, and you will be brought before kings and governors for my namesake. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Settle it, therefore, in your minds not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I will give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends. And some of you, they will be put to death. You will be hated by all for my namesake. But not a hair of your head will perish. By your endurance, you will gain your lives. But when you see Jerusalem surrounded by armies, then know that its desolation has come near. Then let those who are in Judea flee to the mountains, and let those who are inside the city depart, and let not those who are out in the country enter it. For these are the days of vengeance to fulfill all that is written. Alas, for women who are pregnant and for those who are nursing infants in those days. For there will be great distress upon the earth and wrath against this people. They will fall by the edge of the sword and be led among captive among all the nations. And Jerusalem will be trampled underfoot by the Gentiles until the times of the Gentiles are fulfilled. And there will be signs and sun and moon, and stars, and on the earth the stress of nations and perplexity because of the roaring of the sea and the waves. People fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. For the powers of the heavens will be shaken. And then they will see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. Now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. And he told them a parable. Look at the fig tree and all the trees. As soon as they come out in leaf, you see for yourselves. 
and know that the summer is already near. So also when you see these things taking place, you know that the kingdom of God is near. Truly I say to you, this generation will not pass away until all has taken place. Heaven and earth will pass away, but my words will not pass away. But watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. For it will come upon all who dwell on the face of the whole earth. But stay awake at all times, praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that, you, that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. And every day he was teaching in the temple but at night he went out and lodged on the mount called Olivet. And early in the morning, all the people came to him in the temple to hear him. Let's pray together. Lord, we ask for your supernatural help this morning. Lord, your supernatural help. Because, Lord, I have zero confidence in my words, but I have complete confidence in your word. I have complete confidence not in, Lord, anything that I say, but in the Holy Spirit speaking to our hearts this morning, piercing our hearts this morning. Lord, it is your Spirit that causes wakefulness. Lord, it is your Spirit alone that can make dead hearts alive, that can make sleepy hearts alert to the things of you. Lord, it's only by your Spirit that we can cry out, Maranatha, Come, Lord Jesus. So, Lord, I pray for all of us, for myself, for all those who are hearing, those who are in Christ today, those who do not know Jesus today, that you would awaken us to the glories of Jesus. Lord, that our eyes might be turned away from ourselves, turned away from this world, and turned to Jesus. Lord, would you do this for your great glory and our joy? We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, what if today was the day? Like, what if today was the day that we heard the trumpet? Have you ever done that? Have you ever been running or walking outside and gone, what if the trumpet sounded right now? Like, what if this was the day that Jesus cracked the sky, that we beheld our Savior in the sky? Would you be ready? Would you be ready today? If the Lord returned today, what would he find you doing? What, what would, he find, would he find you ready? What would he find Christ's fellowship doing? From our passage, it's really clear that, that Jesus wants a church that's found faithful when he comes. A church that would be a calm in the midst of the storm that's going on all around them. The, the Lord Jesus wants his disciples who are steadfast in the middle of chaos. He wants to find you faithful while the rest of the world is giving way. So the question today is, will he find you that way? Let me give you a visual picture of the calm, the steadfastness, this faithfulness that I'm 
talking about. I found this on a guy's Twitter page. It says this, when the time comes, be this guy. And I think we all know what that picture's from. And we, we see Germany all giving their devotion, all giving their affection, all giving their allegiance to Hitler. And he says, when the time comes, be this guy. Be, be the guy who is found faithful, the guy who is keeping his eyes on Jesus. So the question is this morning, how do you do that? How do you get there? What do you do to to get yourself ready? Well, I think we find from this passage that that Christians don't prepare for the last days in the last days. Right? Christians don't wait until the last days to get themselves ready in the last moment. We've heard parables about that. Christians don't prepare for the last days in the last days. We prepare for the last days in the present. Future faithfulness, future faithfulness is dependent on present preparation. Present practices of walking with Jesus and looking at Jesus and keeping your eyes on Jesus. And so I'm sure if I was to spend my week with you this week, if I was to walk with you this week and watch how you got up in the morning and, and what your first priority was, and I saw you at work, how your conversations went, and I was able to spend time with you and watch what happened on your calendar in your week. In doing so, I'm sure I could see whether or not you're ready. You're ready to behold Jesus, that you're ready for the coming of Christ. So I ask you again to, to think with me sober mindedly, to listen prayerfully today and ask yourself the question Am I ready to see Jesus? Are you ready for his return? Now, we could, in this long discourse, we could get bogged down in the details of this passage. I mean, one of the questions that comes up when you listen to Jesus' words is, is Jesus talking about the destruction of Jerusalem in 70 AD, or is Jesus talking about his second coming in the last days when he comes again? And the answer is yes. He's talking about both of these events, both of these things that are going to happen because they both mirror one another. The signs and the persecution and the uh, pressure, they both look the same, both 70 AD and in the second coming of Christ. What I think we understand when we read and listen to Jesus speaking about the last days is that Jesus cares a lot less about you getting all the details right, and he cares a lot more about you being ready. Jesus cares a lot less about, is this talking about Russia? Is it talking about China? Is this talk- we get bogged down in the details, and we fall asleep with the reality that he's coming. We need to be ready to see Jesus. So I want us to walk through the the commands that we find of Christ, the commands that Jesus is giving his disciples throughout this passage. And the first one is this, resolve 
to keep your eyes on Jesus. Jesus begins explaining to his disciples all the, as all the people in the temple are marveling at this massive temple, this temple that even Herod took and made bigger than the one before. And as people are marveling at the temple that Jesus wants them to see that the ultimate plan, the future focus for the Lord is not in a building in Jerusalem. This is all going to be destroyed. And so the, the disciples start to wonder, well then, when will this take place? What are the signs that we should be looking for? And as Jesus begins to explain the signs, explain the last days, listen to the first thing that comes out of his mouth in verse 8. He says, see that, see that you are not led astray. He's saying, take care lest you're deceived. See to it that you're not led astray. For many will come in my name saying, I am he and the time is hand at hand. And he says this, do not go after them. Do not go after them. Jesus is warning his disciples. His disciples who he knows are susceptible to be led astray, to listen to the false claims. There's going to be many, Jesus says, who come and they say, you know what? I'm the one you've been waiting for. I'm he. I am the Christ. They'll be claiming to be the promised Messiah after Jesus. They'll be claiming to be even better than Jesus. And these men, these leaders will be asking for people's devotion They'll be distracting people's eyes from Jesus, their affections away from Jesus. And Jesus is telling his church, his people, don't do it. Don't be led astray. Don't look away from Jesus. We as God's people, as followers of Jesus, we must keep our eyes on Jesus. We must keep our eyes so fixed on Jesus that you can tell the true Jesus, the true Christ, from a fake Christ. Like if I went into my bank this week and I talked to a bank teller, a fake bank teller who doesn't really work there, and they say, hey, Mr. Perry, it's good to see you. It's good to see you. I serve you every week. It's always good to talk to you. There's a great chance she's going to fool me. Like she's, There's a great chance I'm going to think this phony bank teller is the real thing because our relationship is kind of transactional. It's not very personable at all. I don't really know my bank tellers. I'm not having coffee in the bank. However, if I came home and some phony woman was tr pretending to be my incomparable wife, even if she said, I'm so glad that you're home. How was your day? I missed you so much. And she's wearing my wife's pajamas. She's not fooling me. Like it's not going to happen. She's not convincing me because I know my wife's eyes. And I know her tone. I'm, I know all her mannerisms. I know how she smells. Like I can spot a phony because I know the real thing. In the same way, 
Church, we must keep looking at Jesus. We must keep spending time with Jesus and listening to Jesus in His Word and and knowing His character through and through from His Word and gazing at His incomparable beauty and trusting in His finished work on the cross and receiving His sustaining grace and talking about this good news to one another so that we can spot the real Jesus. So that we know the real Jesus. We, we must be so familiar with the real Christ that we could spot a phony Christ from far away. Because brothers and sisters, there are going to be a lot of phony Jesuses. There's a lot of substitute saviors that want to turn your head, that want to steal your attention, that aim to take away your affection, your worship, your love from Jesus. And Jesus says, don't do it. Do not go after them. Do not go after them. It it literally could be a false teacher. A false teacher that exalts himself and demands that you give them their devotion. A false teacher like Hitler, right? Hitler talked a lot about Jesus and the Lord, if you look at what he talked about. It could be a president that thinks he deserves your worship. It could be a pastor that distracts you and keeps your eyes off Jesus. Or it could be an idol. It could, it could be something that takes the place of Jesus. Something you worship that takes your time, your affection, your attention away. Or maybe for you, the, the greatest competition in your life with Jesus is some secret sin. Some hidden sin, an indwelling sin that you think is more precious than Jesus. It takes away your love, lies to you that it will, it will satisfy you. Again, Jesus says, don't go after it. Listen, if it's not the real Jesus, nothing else will save or satisfy you. Everything else will be a cheap imitation. We must keep looking at Jesus now so we won't be seduced by a phony Jesus later. The second thing we see, though, is to resolve to be led by the Spirit. Resolve to be led by the Spirit. Jesus begins to get into the details to describe what will happen, the signs before the last day. And he says, before the last days, there will be ever-increasing turmoil. There will be chaos all around us. Did you see the list? If you read the list, it kind of gets overwhelming. It can kind of, these are the verses that you think about or dream about at night. If you really visualize how crazy this could be, he says, there'll be wars, nations against nations, kingdom against kingdom. There'll be great earthquakes and famines, pestilences. In other words, coronaviruses. There'll be terrors. There'll be all kinds of things. The chaos will ever increase around us. But Jesus says it won't just increase around us. It will also ever increase against us. The chaos will ever increase against the people of God, the followers of Jesus. 
So any prosperity theology or end-time teachings or phony Christian nationalism that, that leads you to think that things are going to keep getting easier and easier and easier for Christians haven't re really read the Bible. We should not believe that things will grow more comfortable but more chaotic if we're going to deny ourselves and take up a cross and follow Jesus. This is what Jesus tells his disciples. He says, people are going to lay their hands on you and persecute you, deliver you up to the synagogues and throw you in prison and bring you before kings and governors. In verse 16, he says, it's either going to be your parents, maybe, or brothers or relatives or friends because you are following Jesus Christ. I've told my kids before, in, in light of rising persecution, that you know, there's a lot of places in our, our world where you can't say, I'm a follower of Jesus and not, not be punished for it. And I've told my kids, you know, your dad could be thrown into prison one day, not not actually for doing anything wrong, but actually standing for something really right. Standing for the name of Jesus Christ. If you're anything like me, you read these verses, and this could be an opportunity to panic, a, a reason for your soul to grow restless, thinking about the, the worries of this world. But listen to Jesus. Listen to Jesus' words in verse 13. He says, this will be your opportunity to bear witness. This will be your opportunity to bear witness. Persecution is, is not a horrible tragedy for the people of God. Instead, it's an opportunity for you to give testimony. An opportunity to suffer for the glory of God. Of Jesus, Jesus, an opportunity to endure for the sake of the name of Jesus. Brothers and sisters, your trial, your suffering is always an opportunity to say Jesus is worthy. Your suffering is always an opportunity to say that Jesus is worthy. Just this past week, two weeks ago, there's a church down in Memphis, don't know if you saw this, named Harvest uh, Bible Church in Memphis. Uh, there's a family in our church who have relatives that go to this church. And a couple Tuesdays ago, they had a plane crash in Texas. Five people on the plane, an executive pastor, another elder, and two staff members. And the only person to be alive still is the lead pastor of this church. And before... And during and after this tragedy, the echo from this church in Memphis has been that Jesus is worthy. That Jesus is worthy. And I even heard the story this week that the place that the plane crashed, the people that owned the land that the plane crashed has been following this church and listening to this church in the midst of suffering saying that Jesus is worthy. And just this week, that family has given their lives to Christ. Watching people in the midst of suffering saying, Jesus is enough for us. Brothers and sisters, your trial, your suffering is an opportunity 
a joyful opportunity to say that Jesus is worthy. I mean, we read the book of Acts. Do you know Luke is the same person that wrote the book of Acts, the story of the early church? And it's not by accident that 17 times in the book of Acts we read about suffering for the sake of the name. That phrase, for the sake of the name. One of my favorite stories is Acts 5 when Paul, when Peter and his apostles, the apostles have been charged by the council never to talk about Jesus again. Beaten and thrown out of the council. Say, never talk about Jesus again. Yet Luke records this and captures this as they limp away from the scene. It says this, Then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name. They were rejoicing because they were counted worthy to proclaim Jesus is worthy. To be counted worthy to say Jesus is worthy. When chaos comes to your life, when, when chaos happens in those last days, when the world feels like it's falling apart, we have the tendency to want to panic. Anybody, especially if you're type A, you have the tendency to take control, to, to want to get a plan together, to want to start prepping, right? I mean, that's what a doomsday prepper is, right? You you got to dig the bunker in the backyard. you got to dig down into the bunker. You have to gather all the, the water. you got to start getting canned foods. you got to stock up with like road flares. I don't know. I've never built a bunker, but there's a lot of stuff down there, I guess. And while we might not go to those extremes, we do try to take control. We still want to have our plan. And, and our anxiety causes us not to lean on Jesus, but to lean on ourselves. To lean on our plan. To lean on our preparations. To, to even lean on other people other than Jesus. But listen to what Jesus says in verse 14. Listen to what Jesus says in verse 14. He says, settle it therefore in your mind. Settle it, therefore, in your minds, not to meditate beforehand how to answer. For I'll give you a mouth and wisdom which none of your adversaries will be able to withstand or contradict. You know what another word is for settle? Resolve right now. Resolve right now not to prepare beforehand. I'm, I'm not going to try to take control. I'm not going to try to prepare. I'm not going to try to make a great plan. I'm not going to try to act like I'm alone. Why? Because if you're in Christ, you're not alone. You are filled with the Holy Spirit. God's presence lives within you. God's power is dwelling in you. That, that means Jesus says the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that will give you the words and the wisdom when you need it. The same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead is the same spirit that will give you the words to speak and the wisdom to speak when that time comes. Brothers and sisters, you've been given more than enough to stand in the greatest trial. 
more than enough to face persecution. So don't panic. Why, why as the church, do we panic? When we read the headlines, why do we panic? When a coronavirus breaks, why do some of us panic? Why do we get crippled by anxiety? He says this in verse 18, but not a hair of your head will perish. Don't panic. Press into the Holy Spirit. And listen, don't wait until later. Like, lean on the Holy Spirit today. Walk by the Spirit today. When we lean on the Spirit today, we will lean on the Spirit in the last days. Number three, resolve to raise your head. As Jesus' teaching continues, we think, see things are growing more and more dark, especially, especially for God's chosen people. Worshiping in God's chosen place, the temple. We see that in verses 20 through 24. Jesus foretells of armies that are going to close in on Jerusalem. People are going to have to flee to the mountains. Pregnant women, nursing women will be in great distress. And this will be God's judgment following. This will be what is written beforehand taking place. Jewish historian Josephus recorded that in 70 AD, when the destruction of Jerusalem took place, that 97,000 people, 97,000 people were taken prisoner, 1.1 million killed in that siege. That's devastating. But then Jesus says, in verse 25, he starts talking about the second coming, his, his second coming, the coming judgment on the whole world. Verse 25, read with me, it says this, and there'll be signs in sun and moon and stars and on the earth distress of nations and perplexity. Because of the roaring of the sea and the waves, people feigning with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world, for the powers of heavens will be shaken. Did you hear the reaction of the people? Like, did you notice what's taking place in the hearts of the nations in these last days when these last signs take place? Jesus says the people will be fainting in fear the people will be fainting in fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world Jesus says the people of this world th those who have not found a refuge in Jesus those who are not hidden in Christ they're going to be filled with fear when you see them they'll be crippled with anxiety. They'll be growing in despair and overcome with worry. And this makes total sense. It makes total sense to be crippled with anxiety, to be paralyzed with fear, to be overwhelmed with worry and despair. But only if this is it. Like only if this is the end. But this isn't the end. If our hope is in Jesus, if you have confidence in the risen Christ who died in your place and rose again, if you have a refuge in Jesus, 
We who are in Christ, we believe verse 26 when Jesus says, the Son of Man, that we are going to see the Son of Man coming in a cloud with power and great glory. The question for your heart is, do you believe that? Do you rest in that? Do you cling to that? We believe in verse 33 that heaven and earth will pass away, but that Jesus' words will not pass away. That means every syllable that Jesus has spoken is true. Do we believe what we read a minute ago, verse 17, verse 18, but not a hair of your head is going to perish? Do you believe it? Oh, we as God's people believe Hebrews chapter 1, that our King Jesus upholds the universe by the word of his power. It's what it means to be a Christian. It's not to drop your head in despair. Not to be overwhelmed with worry. Not to be filled with fear. But to be a Christian is to believe in the sovereignty of Christ and the certainty of His second coming. To believe in the sovereignty of Christ and the certainty that He is coming again. That we will hear the trumpet. We will see His face. So when trials come, when the plane crashes in the field, when great persecution rises up even in our land, when, when wars could come to us, when a sword or a gun or, or persecution comes against your head, it's not time to fear. It's not time to fear. No, Jesus says it's time to lift up your gaze. It's time to raise your head. Look at verse 28, what Jesus says. Now, when these things begin to take place, no, don't drop your head in despair. When these things take place, don't be crippled by anxiety, he says. No, he says, now when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your head because your redemption is drawing near. Straighten up and raise your heads because your redemption is drawing near. It reminds me of Stephen in the book of Acts. When persecution is coming against him, he's about to be stoned for being a follower of Jesus. But yet he lifts up his head to behold the glory of Jesus in the heavens. Brothers and sisters, Jesus didn't die on a cross and rise again to make your redemption a possibility. Jesus died and rose again to make your redemption a reality, a certainty for those who are hidden in Jesus. Do you live like the coming of Christ is a possibility, or do you live like it's reality? Like it's a certainty for those who are resting in Jesus. Oh, we must do this now. We must raise our gaze Today, if we think we're going to do it in the last days, it has to start now. We must not live crippled by anxiety, dropping our heads over despair, but live in the reality that Jesus is coming. That in the morning we rise up to say, Jesus is coming, and it could be today. This should be your daily routine. 
I'm going to give you your daily routine. If you're wondering what you should do each and every day, let me just give it to you from Colossians chapter 3. This is what you need to do every single day of your life. It says this, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth, for you have died. And your life is hidden with Christ and God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. Brothers and sisters, have you been raised with Jesus? Then look to Jesus. Where, where he is seated in the heavenly realms, where he reigns right now on earth. There is nothing better in this life that's better than looking unto Jesus. And resting in the certainty that Jesus is coming again. Don't drop your head. Raise your head for Jesus in all his glory is in the heavens and he is coming for us. Finally, resolve to stay awake in prayer. Jesus tells a parable saying, just like when you go outside and you see a fig tree, see a tree out in your yard, and you start seeing leaves growing, you know, you know what? Springtime must be upon us. Jesus says, in the same way, when you see these signs happening, you should know that Jesus is coming. Now, for some of us, like we said earlier, maybe your disposition is to be tempted to, like, come up with a plan. Like, I'm not going to lean on Jesus. I'm going to Take control. I'm going to make a plan. I'm going to prep. I'm not going to lean on him. I'm going to lean on me. Maybe that's your temptation. Some of us, others of us, might be tempted to, to grow anxious, to, to be crippled with anxiety, to be filled with fear and to despair. But yet there's another temptation that we see in this passage. There's another temptation that God's people could grow comfortable that we could grow distracted by the things of this world. Actually, he says, we could become drunk off this world. And as the cares of this world weigh us down, we begin to fall asleep. Listen to verse 34. Jesus says, but watch yourself. Watch yourselves, lest your hearts be weighed down with dissipation and drunkenness and cares of this life. And that day come upon you suddenly like a trap. The, the heaviness, the weighed downness of this world, it might feel good, it might be comfortable, but it's a trap for your soul, Jesus says. One of the greatest things in my life, other than Jesus and my wife and kids and this church and family, Maybe a close fifth is a blanket that sits on the end of my bed. You, I don't know if you have one of those blankets that you're just like, this is the holy grail of blankets. Like, Indiana Jones should try to found this blanket. This is incredible. It's like the perfect weight, the perfect amount of, of heaviness upon me. And that heaviness, sometimes I can get in the bed, you could ask Rebecca, and I can tell you in that moment, you know what, I'm not tired at all. 
No, I can watch a couple of shows. Yes, I can watch it. But once I get kind of cozy, once I start getting warm, once I feel comfortable, it's over. The eyes are going to grow droopy and heavy, and I'm going to be fast asleep. And the same is true of this world. We can say that we are followers of Christ. We can say that we are alert, that we are awake to the things of Jesus. But as soon as this world starts feeling weighty, and as soon as you start feeling comfortable in it, it's over. As soon as this world starts feeling weighty and you start feeling comfortable in it, it's over. You'll start to fall asleep. You'll start to lose heart. You'll start to take your eyes off Jesus. You'll think something in this world is more precious than Jesus, and it's over. And so Jesus gives us the better way in verse 36. He says this, but stay awake at all times praying that you may have strength to escape all these things that are going to take place and to stand before the Son of Man. Jesus says prayer is the way we stay awake. Prayer is the pathway to perseverance. Not being overwhelmed by this world, but being overwhelmed with Jesus and looking at Jesus and speaking to Jesus in prayer. Listen, your heart can't grow comfortable in this world and say, come Lord Jesus, at the same time. That's, a, that's an impossibility. Your heart can't get comfortable in this world and you say, come Lord Jesus, at the same time. So this morning, you're either going to find yourself at home here or you're going to find yourself longing for home there. Praying for home there. Looking unto Jesus there. This morning, I think our passage has been very clear about being faithful to Jesus until the end. Faithful to Jesus in those last days. And Let me just ask you a couple questions as we close to think about, to, to look at your heart and to think, am I falling asleep? Am I falling asleep? Do you find yourself looking at Jesus or are you distracted by a substitute Savior? Do you walk in desperate dependence on the Holy Spirit or are you walking dependent on yourself? Do you find yourself raising your head to heaven, looking unto the glory of Jesus who is reigning in heaven or do you find yourself crippled by the things of this world? Dropping your head in despair. Does your heart this morning cry, come Lord Jesus? Or is your comfort crying out, no Jesus, please wait. Ask yourself this morning, are you falling asleep? Are you falling asleep to the glory of and the beauty and the majesty of Jesus who lived for you, who died for you, who rose again, and who is coming again for you? Maybe the question for some of you this morning is, have you ever been awake? 
Not are you falling asleep, but have you ever been awake? Have you ever been awakened to the reality that there is a Savior named Jesus? Who even when you were dead in your trespasses and sins, while you were still a sinner, Jesus came to live a perfect life for you. To die a sinner's death in your place on a cross and three days later on the third day rose again and that one day he is going to come again for you have you ever been awakened to that reality that you're a sinner and need a savior that you're a sinner who needs a savior who overcome sin in the grave and a, a, a savior who is going to come again for you Maybe this morning's the day that you wake up. That you're awakened to the glory and the beauty that Jesus is enough. That Jesus is better than your sin. Jesus is better than anything this world can offer me. And you would turn and repent and trust in Jesus. What if today was the day? Like what if any second we heard the trumpet? What if any second we saw his face? Are you resting in him? Are you longing to see him? Is your heart crying out, Maranatha, come Lord Jesus? Or is your heart falling asleep saying, no Jesus, please wait. Are you ready this morning? Let's pray. Father, we ask that your spirit would shine a light into our hearts. That, Lord, it might expose the, the sleepiness of our souls. That it might expose that, we have, that we're not awake to the realities of Jesus. The glory of a Savior who died and rose on the third day and who is coming again. Lord, would your spirit awaken us today. Lord, would your spirit awaken your church today that we might be stirred up to be faithful, that we might be stirred up to steadfastness, stirred up to keep our eyes on Jesus, that we would keep our eyes on him, that we would walk by the Holy Spirit, that we would not drop our head in despair, but we would raise our head in hope to heaven and that, Lord, we would stay awake, praying to you, clinging to you, longing for the day that we see your face. Lord, would you do this by the power of your Spirit? Lord, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.